Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host for the next half hour. We'll be calmly talking about some things that the scriptures teach us. Some things to think about, not argue about. Things that we can put in perspective and understand, hopefully, a little bit more about our relationship with God and with one another. I come to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. And I always invite your participation with us in making sure these podcasts stay available and make sure we have the resources we need to minister to the many thousands of young people that come to these grounds. I'm thankful to have been here for many years and that my dad was the founder of the ministry. And I get to enjoy the fruit of some of the early pioneers that roam these grounds. These people knew God and they loved God and they walked with God. They were far from perfect as we all are. But God's mercy and his grace, they cover that. And I'm thankful to be a part of the heritage that they brought. But tonight I want to talk about the disturbing idea of redefining words and the confusion that brings. I have a lecture that I give to the Nicolay Bible Institute students that I call reframing. It's kind of like taking a great old picture and putting a new frame around it. It gives it a whole new look. And it seems as though people have done that with so many different words in our language. Nobody knows what they mean when they talk about the word family because it's been reframed. Gender has been reframed. Church has been reframed. So many of them are confusing phrases to people. Or they're unique phrases in that if you say family, you think one thing, but I think another. In reality, these all have definitions that we need to think about. And those definitions are important to implement into our lives. In fact, here's what I know. I know that a word that carries a definition, and all words do, brings about clarity. The clarity brings about certainty, and that certainty brings about peace. When you're not certain about something, you lack that peace. You're an anxious individual. But solid definition brings about clarity, which brings about certainty, which brings about peace as the byproduct of those things. Therefore, it's very important that we understand the definitions that are in the Bible, the definitions of words that we use on a regular basis. Let me give you an example. I've often talked about the word good. What does that mean? If you were to come to me and say that all people are good, I would say, I don't know what you just said. Because good needs a comparative to it. It needs something that we compare it to. So if I say I'm a good basketball player, I have to be comparing it to a bad basketball player or to somebody who's not quite as proficient as I am. If I say I'm good at a chainsaw, I'm comparing it to somebody who's not good using a chainsaw. If I ever heard anyone say that all people are basically good, what I hear them saying is all people can compare themselves to somebody else who they find less superior than they are somehow. 
there has to be somebody in the formula that's not good in order for there to be good. Good always needs a comparison. And when you say you're good at something, nobody actually knows what you meant. The definition of what you mean is important. When you say the term God, most people in the United States probably don't know what you mean. I'm talking about God, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God. But if you just use the term God to many people, they don't know who you're talking about or what you're talking about. Wisdom. Just the idea of what is wisdom. If you were to ask somebody if somebody else was wise or gave you wise advice, perhaps they don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, they would. They would put it through their own filter. But in that filter, would they understand what you said? When I say the word church, you're going to have a definition for it. Now, whether that be the definition that's in the Bible, that's another story, but you would have a definition for it. If I told you that I enjoyed a meal, the very idea of me enjoying a meal might be different than you enjoying a meal. Perhaps I was talking about a food that you find disgusting. I like herring. I'm an old Swedish guy that likes to have pickled herring. I do understand that there are people that don't find that enjoyable. So I might use the word enjoy in the context of herring, and you might be repulsed by herring. See, we have a different idea of what's enjoyable. We would use the word differently. I think it's important that as you go through the scriptures, when God defines something, that we leave it alone so we know what he's talking about. We need to let God define the terms in the Bible that we use. Good is something that we don't use to describe God because of the comparison, and there's no possible way to compare God to anybody or anything. Yet a lot of words in the scriptures are easy to define because God defines them for us. I do understand what gender is. I understand what marriage should be. I understand what a church is. Some other things I may not understand totally because they're subject to the person's opinion, like enjoyment or something along that line. I like to compare it to the idea of me showing you an elephant somewhere. Let's say that you had never seen an elephant before and you wanted to see one because I was talking about one. So I decided to take you to the local zoo. But before we went in, I would blindfold you and take you over to the elephant cage. And with the permission of the zookeeper, I took you in the cage and put your face against the elephant and then pulled the blindfold off. And I pronounced to you that this is an elephant. Now, of course, you would not really get a very good view of the elephant at that point. Certainly, your face was against the elephant, your eyes were against the elephant, your nose is against the elephant. But being that close did not help you understand what an elephant really is. You're too close to it. Oftentimes in life, I think that we're very close to 
situations and words that we use, but we're not really understanding the concepts. I can use the word elephant. I can tell you. I can describe the, the elephant to you. But what I really need to do is back you off so that you can see the elephant in the context of its environment. When we talk to God, we realize that he actually knows what he's talking about. He understands all the terms, and he defines them for us so that we can have a clarity as far as what life is supposed to be about. I am thrilled that I have no confusion when it comes to what gender is. I have no confusion in my mind when I look at the word marriage and understand what that means how God has passed that down through the scriptures. I am thankful that I understand the word love and that love demands a choice. I I understand that. You go back to the book of Job and you realize that the concept of love was what Satan was counting on Job to mess up on, but he didn't. Do you realize that if you actually understand the definitions that God gives and you align your life according to them, you will not be confused in life. Confusion goes to those who keep changing definitions. When there's a baby that is conceived, that life is in that mother's womb and it is God who is crafting that life. It is not a blob of protoplasm. It is not a just fetal tissue, it is a life. We can redefine it any way we want to make the murdering of those babies acceptable. It will never be acceptable. Redefining something never authorizes us to abuse it. There is a definition for things in life, and we need to understand it and work through it so that we can participate the way we should. The trouble often is we listen to people who pontificate on things and try and persuade us to their understanding of life and the way it should be. Yet, really, I've said so often that my smartest thought is only equal to God's dumbest. I understand God doesn't have a dumb thought, but my smartest one is only equal to God's dumbest thought. 1 Corinthians one twenty five says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weaknesses, or the weakness of God, is stronger than men. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, God isn't foolish or weak. But God has said, if you want to compare your strength, your absolute strength and your absolute wisdom to me, the greatest amount that you could ever have is, would only be equal to my weakness. You see, when God sets things out in the scriptures, it's clear, it's simple. We can go to it for the definition and we can live in the context of the way God actually created things. But we have to accept what he says. I know sometimes we get involved with people who are very good at rhetoric. They can argue, they can debate. They have their mind made up about something and they're going to convince you that it's that way no matter what. You do know that argument and debate and rhetoric do not equal truth. 
You can argue and debate something you don't even believe in and win the argument because you're good with words. That doesn't mean that you're right. It means that you're good with words. How many times has somebody been in a debate class or a debate club and been given a topic that they don't even believe in? And yet they're able to win the debate because they understand the rules of debate and they understand how to put words together in a way that's very convincing. Well, if God has given us a definition, your ability or my ability to debate and to change and twist the definition is not something that's going to change the definition. 1 Corinthians one twenty says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Many think that they're very smart and very wise and that people should come to them and agree with them. I can understand that. I don't think in life I've ever got up in the morning and gone somewhere and said, I'm going to make some very poor decisions today. I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever thought, well, let me think this because it's a really stupid thought. I, I don't think I've ever done that. I actually think the things that I do and the things that I think have some merit. I think that if I have a reason to do something, it's a good reason. Because if I thought it was a bad reason, I wouldn't do it. So if you were to come to me and want me to justify all that I think and all that I do, I would be able to do that quite easily. But I understand that I still could be wrong. But there's something in me that would want to argue my point, my pride, my arrogance, or something. What I need to do is be able to go to God and understand that God sees all things correctly. He defines all things correctly. He is always looking out for the best interest of those he created. He is the wise one. I need to go to the scriptures and let him define things instead of me. There might be a time where God says, you want to live that way, go ahead. And that would be a tragic time in life. Coming to him and allowing him to describe what life should be like, to define the terms that are important, is always going to be critical. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God isn't dependent upon my ability to think or my oration skills or my understanding for him to act in a way that's right. I need to align myself with God. He does not need to align himself with me. I don't need to know every word that I use is a word that God would use because that may not be. 
But there are words like family. There are things like gender. There are things that I understand from the scriptures that I should yield to because they're true. I don't have to understand everything. I just need to admit the fact that my smartest thought is equal to God's dumbest and align myself with the truth that God reveals. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. How powerful of passage is that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Think about that for a little bit. Our own understanding is the only thing we have. We don't have somebody else's understanding. We have our own. I'm trying to understand life. I'm trying to understand my position in life. I'm trying to understand all things pertaining to life and death, purpose and success and failure. And God says, you better lean on me for that. Don't lean on your own understanding because you can't. Your own understanding, Dave, is limited. My understanding is not. You need to draw close to me and listen to me and yield to me. You don't need to make things up. As I was talking to the students, I often give them an illustration of a jigsaw puzzle theology that is not theology at all. But it's the way I understand things. And my understanding, as I just admitted, is totally limited, but there are ways that I do understand. I'm not one that likes jigsaw puzzles. I don't like putting them together. I, I have the mind frame that jigsaw puzzles were put together once and somebody cut them into a thousand pieces and wants us to put them back together. And I don't find that entertaining. If you like jigsaw puzzles, please forgive me. I, I'm not condemning them. I'm just telling you how I think. But in reality, as I think about life, in my own understanding, in my own position in life, I realize that life is like a jigsaw puzzle, that God already has the cover. For God, it's complete. He knew me before the world was ever created. He knew me before I was born. He knows the day I leave this earth, he has the cover. He sees the complete picture. I don't. He does. Not only that, he hands me one piece of that puzzle at a time. And half the time, I have to admit, I don't know where it goes. I can look at that puzzle piece, and I can think it goes in this place or that place, but so many times I'm not sure where it goes. Faith in God, trusting in the Lord with all my heart, means that I'm convinced that he knows where it goes. I'm not talking about times where I might deliberately disobey God. Those aren't puzzle pieces he wants me to have. But in life, the circumstances of life, the growing process that I'm always in, 
the things that I understand and the things that I don't understand. God is the one who hands me those pieces one at a time. One day when I leave this earth, perhaps he'll flip the cover around and show me what the puzzle looks like all together. I doubt I'll even think about that when I see him. But while I'm using it for an illustration, it makes sense to me. You see, God is one who has a plan. And he's working that plan. And he loves me and he loves you. I need to trust the Lord with all my heart. And I shouldn't be leaning on my own understanding because my understanding is limited. My nose is still pushed against the elephant and my understanding of life and death and, and eternity and everything is limited. Here's what I can do, though. In all my ways, I can acknowledge him. I can get up every day and I can acknowledge the fact that God has a plan. And I can walk in that plan. I can ask him to put me in the middle of his plan. In all my ways I can acknowledge him, and he will make straight my paths. He can make sure that I'm walking where I'm supposed to walk, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And then he goes on to say, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So I can get up every morning, and I can admit to God that I'm not sure where to go, but I do know he's going somewhere. I also know that proximity, where I am, matters. And I need to stay by him. So where he's going today in my life, I need to travel with him. And as I do, I'll be safe and I'll be in the right spot doing the right thing. I also need to realize that there will be things that I don't understand. Because God is beyond my understanding. He's beyond my capability of even understanding. So I don't need to be wise in my own eyes. I need to fear the Lord. Respect the fact that he is God and my Father and he knows what's going on. And go back to the beginning of this passage where it says trust in him. And turn away from evil. When I see evil, I need to turn away from it and not embrace it. I need to identify it as evil. Recently, as I was talking to a young man, we were talking about the struggle with sin that was besetting them. I told him, I said, you have to name that sin. You have to say that doesn't work. You have to, you have to tell God, talk to yourself and talk to God about the lie that you believe. Turn away from the evil. The evil isn't going to do you any good. If you insist on living in an evil environment, you will be destroyed and your life will be something that you wish it wasn't. Because that's not what we need to do. We need to trust the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him and he'll make our path straight. We don't need to be wise in our own eyes. We need to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We need to know the definitions that God gives us. Definitions for words like family. Definitions for wealth. You know, I've, I've talked to people and talked to them about being wealthy, and it's like, no, I'm not wealthy. 
Well, what if you are by definition? The word logic, the word power, wisdom, the word love, the word success, the word leadership, the word significance, the word security. What do these words mean? What does God say they mean? Sometimes I think it doesn't actually matter to us. I think we live in our own world, our faces against the elephant, and it's so real, the darkness and the smelliness and the roughness of the skin that we don't want to take the time to look outside and figure out what's really going on because our experience is such. Sometimes I think we just lost the whole idea of purpose in life. That somehow we think that life is about breathing and existing until the day we die. And if we make it to the day we die, somehow we've been successful in what we've done. Yet that seems ludicrous in every way. Because everybody that's listening will make it until the day you die. I often compare life here in the United States to a a NASCAR race. I'm not actually a, a NASCAR fan. I'm not against it at all. I I've seen a few races. They're loud and cars drive at a very fast speed. But I do think that it reminds me of life in the United States here. The Daytona 500 has, at least last time I saw, 43 cars that burned 5,375 gallons of fuel. They averaged 162 miles an hour. And they didn't go anywhere. Think about it, the NASCAR people, they go in a circle, they, they start and they drive in a circle. And they drive hard and they trained hard for this and they have crews and they have gas and they have resources and they have money and they spend it fluently on this race. And I'm not against it, by the way. But the winner is the one who went nowhere the fastest. The winner is the one that went nowhere the fastest. I don't want to be that guy in life, spending all the resources and all the fuel and all the training to go nowhere and to go the fastest nowhere. Whenever I see a car race now, I, well, most of the time, I think of this. I think of the futility of life for those who get up every day and go into that fast lane and work hard and have resources and end up nowhere. See, life wasn't meant to just go nowhere. It was meant to go to where God directs us. He directs some to the mission field. He directs some to stay here in the United States. He directs some to be plumbers and some to be electricians and some to be pastors and teachers. And He directs all of us to live within the context of the body that he gave to us. It's important that we live in the context of how he created us. Life isn't a NASCAR race. Life is really about knowing God and making him known. If those two things are not happening in your life, then you're wasting your life. You can know God. You need to pick up the Bible and read it. 
You need to be reading the Bible and make that a regular part of your life. Not a strange part, not an extraordinary part, but a regular part of your life so that you can know God. Because once you know Him, you trust Him. And once you trust Him, you get to the point where you trust Him no matter what goes on. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't trust in the circumstance. You don't trust in the medicine. You don't trust in the doctors. You don't trust in the fact that you're at war or not at war. You trust in the Lord with all your heart because you know who He is and He's worthy of your trust. Well, I'm so thankful that I could be a part of your day today. I'm not sure I said anything you didn't already know. Words have definitions, and it's important that we know what the definitions are, and we live by those definitions. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Thank you.